The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. All right, I'm going to send it to the DealBook conference now. You see Andrew uh, Ross Sorkin walking on the stage for his conversation with Sam Bankman-Fried, and we're going to listen in. Thank you, everybody. Um, and thank you uh, for staying for the entire day uh, so that we can uh, do what I think may be one of the most important interviews we will do uh, today. Um, in the span of about one week, Sam Bankman-Fried uh, went from a billionaire, uh, the white knight of the crypto world, and running one of the largest exchanges to what some people think has become a wanted man. FTX was once valued at $32 billion. It's now effectively worthless in bankruptcy. We're going to talk about that and whether investors will ever get money back. There are multiple billions owed to creditors and big questions. In the wake of the collapse, Bitcoin fell to its lowest price in two years. And on Monday, BlockFi, which had been bailed out by FTX, filed for bankruptcy. Uh, the rapid fall of this empire has left so many questions about crypto, about the future of it, and whether it can be trusted again. Sam Bankman-Fried joins us right now, live from the Bahamas. Sam, I want to thank you for joining us uh, this afternoon. I appreciate your willingness to have this conversation. Um, as I said at the outset of today, there are a lot of questions uh, that need to be asked and also need to be answered. Um, as you know, a lot of people have been hurt, genuinely hurt. And my hope is that over uh, the time we have together, that we can have a candid conversation about what happened, how it happened. Uh, there are people who are angry, and they are seeking answers. Um, I just want everybody in the audience to know um, that I received thousands of letters and emails, even in the past couple of days, uh, from a lot of these people who feel like they're victims. And some of them uh, have questioned whether we should have this conversation, whether we should have this interview. Um, there are people who don't believe that this conversation should happen. And I just want to say that I think our job as journalists uh, is to have those conversations, is to ask those questions and seek those answers on behalf of the public. Uh, and that is especially true right now. Sam. Here's where I want to start this conversation, if we could. Um, I think at this point there are two ways uh, to view what has happened at FTX. And I know we'll get into all of the details in a moment. But I'm just going to go very basic. Uh, there's a generous view. And the generous view is that you are a young man who made a series of terrible, terrible, very, very bad decisions. The less generous view is that you have committed a massive fraud that this is a Ponzi scheme, a manipulation of the system. And I want to start there because I think that there are so many people who have that question, which is, what is this? And what did happen? 
Yeah, look, thanks for having me. And, um, and at the end of the day, I, I was CEO of FTX. And that means whatever happened, whatever it happened, I had a duty. I had a duty to all of our stakeholders, to our customers, uh, our creditors. I had a duty to our employees, to our investors, and, and to the regulators in the world uh, to do right by them, to make sure the right things happened to the company. And uh, clearly, I didn't do a good job of that. Um, clearly, I, um, I made a lot of mistakes or, or things I would give anything to be able to do over again. Um, I didn't ever uh, try to commit fraud on anyone. I I was excited about the prospects of FTX a month ago. Um, I saw it as a thriving, growing business. I was shocked by what happened this month. And, you know, reconstructing it, uh, where are there things I wish I had done differently? Well, let's, let's talk about some of the things you, you, you would want to have done differently. Uh, but I don't want this to be an abstraction uh, for folks, because it's a lot of big numbers um, and often doesn't feel human. Um, one of the, the letters I got uh, I want to read to you, Sam, um, because it's from a gentleman who said that he lost his life savings. Um, and the subject line is, Sam Bankman-Fried stole $2 million from me. Says, Andrew, can you please ask SBF why he decided to steal my life savings and the $10 billion more from customers to give to his hedge fund, Alameda? Can you ask him why his hedge fund was leveraging long all of these S coins, I'm gonna keep it polite for the kids. Please ask him if he thinks, the, thinks what happened was fraud. These are the kinds of letters that I've been getting repeatedly over the past several days. What do you tell this, this man? Yeah, um, I mean, I'm deeply sorry about what happened. Um, here's, you know, the long and short of what happened. And, and I'll start by saying, uh, just to, to make a distinction here, you look at the U.S. platform, you look at the international platform. The U.S. platform uh, is a U.S. regulated platform with American users. To my knowledge, that's fully solvent. That's fully funded. And, uh, you know, I believe that withdrawals could be opened up today and everyone could be made whole from that, that none of these problems plagued the, the U.S. platform. Um, then you look at the international platform, uh, you know, for their non-US users. And uh, I mean, as the letter says, uh, Alameda Research did have a long position. And the international platform, it's a margin trading platform. It's a derivatives platform. It's a platform where all the clients were you know, going on, placing something as collateral, and using that to put on a position, whether that's a futures position, a spot position, a borrow. Um, and you know, what the exchange was storing was the collateral from all of those positions. Uh, Alameda Research was, you know, one of those that put on positions there. And as I try and reconstruct this, um, you know, over the last month, I, I have limited access to data, but um, my, 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 my view of it um, from what I have been able to see is roughly that, um, you know, basically, look, a year ago, um, Alameda had, I think, something like 10% leverage, you know, had something like 10 times the assets of the position that it had on. Over the course of the last year, there were a number of market crashes um, that drove the value of those assets down and the leverage up. Um, I think it was, to my knowledge, still under 2x leverage, you know, as of uh, a month ago. Um, you look at the, what happened this month, and 
uh, you know, in a few days, all out, um, I mean, PR assault, which led to a total market collapse in a pretty short period of time, no bid side liquidity. Um, I think more than $10 billion wiped off in the matter of days. And uh, realistically speaking, no ability for FTX to be able to, to liquidate that position and generate everything that was owed from it. But I it. think the bigger question is where Alameda got the loan from, yep. which is to say that there is a view that this is about commingling of funds. Right. And, and, and in that letter uh, that I just read you, um, this gentleman actually copy and pasted the terms of service for FTX into the email. And I just want to read you this. It says, none of the digital assets in your account are the property of or shall or may be loaned to FTX Trading. FTX Trading does not represent or treat digital assets and users' accounts as belonging to FTX Trading. So how is it possible that Alameda had this loan of such a large size? So there is that piece from the terms of service. Um, but there were a number of other parts of the terms of service and a number of other parts of the platform on top of that. There is the borrow lending facility where users were lending billions of dollars of assets to each other, um, you know, collateralized by assets on the exchange. Um, you had, uh, and you had obviously futures contracts where there are leveraged positions on. Now, of course, all of this, um, it, it's meant to be the case that these are positions where FTX could, uh, if it needed to, margin call those positions and close them down in time such that it would cover all of those, uh, you know, all those shorts, all those liabilities. Obviously, that wasn't the case here. And that's a massive failure of oversight, of risk management, um, and of, uh, you know, diffusion of responsibility from, from myself running FTX. But, um, but, let's but just, but just yeah. make this very straight. Was there commingling of funds? That's what it appears like. It appears like there's a, been a, a genuine commingling of the funds that are of FTX customers that were not supposed to be commingled with your separate firm. I didn't knowingly commingle funds. And again, one piece of this, you have the margin trading. You have you know, customers borrowing from each other. Alameda is one of those. I was frankly surprised by how big Alameda's position was, which points to another failure of oversight on my part. Um, and uh, failure to appoint someone to be chiefly in charge of that. Uh, but uh, I wasn't trying to commingle funds. Let me ask you this. The Wall Street Journal reported that Carolyn Ellison um, told Alameda staffers that Alameda used FTX client funds to cover loans that were being recalled because of the Luna-triggered credit crunch. Carolyn says that she, Sam, Gary were aware of this. How do you square that with what you originally said over Twitter, that this was an $8 billion accounting mistake? So uh, I'll point to two things. And first of all, obviously, I don't know what anyone else is thinking here. You know, I can only talk about it from what I know, from what I knew. Um, and a lot of this is reconstructing it over the last month. I've limited access to data. but, uh, but you know, what it seems like happened is in the middle of the year, um, uh, a lot of, you know, most of the borrow lending desks in the space blew out or closed down. And um, it seems like Alameda had, you know, margin positions opened with them 
and that it likely moved a bunch of that over to FTX uh, this year when they shut down. And that means, you know, I, I think it was over collateralized um, positions, um, but positions that involve substantial size and substantial U.S. dollar size on the borrow side. Uh, in terms of the accounting mistake, um, again, looking through what happened, um, I think that there is a substantial discrepancy between what the financials were, what the audited financials were, the true financials, um, what the exchange understood, all of that was was, was, was consistent, um, versus what the dashboards that we had displayed um, for, uh, for Alameda's account there, um, which substantially under displayed the size of that position. And so uh, that's one of the reasons that I was uh, surprised when we dug into everything at, at how but, big that position had become. But, but when you would agree that there is a much more closely connected um, version of FTX International and Alameda than previously understood. Fair to say? Uh, yeah, I mean, given the size of the position, I think it, it was, uh, if not in intention, it was in effect uh, tied together substantially more than I would have ever wanted it to be. So. You did an interview uh, earlier this summer with Bloomberg, and you were asked about the connection between Alameda and FTX, and you said uh, that obviously came from the, the, the same place, because it started that way, um, yep. and the same original people. But most of the remaining nexuses, you said, have dropped off. Yep. I know the people from Alameda decently well, almost as if you don't know what's happening there. And there isn't like a large amount you know, of ways remain that we are actively working together anything like that, Alameda is a wholly separate entity. They're different offices, like different principal offices. We don't have any shared personnel. We're also not the same company. We not all are under the same corporate umbrella or anything like that. And yet it seems like Alameda people were living in the same penthouse where you may very well be right now altogether. Um, I... Most of Alameda was not uh, was not there. Uh, I, I don't live there now, but uh, or you know, not there now. I have not uh, lived there uh, for much of the time. But you know, I did live with with, with uh, one or two members of Alameda for a little while. Um, and I'll also say that you know, as I was you know earlier this summer looking at the relationship, and this is a pretty big mistake and oversight of mine. I was viewing it primarily from the trading volume perspective because that's what drives our revenue. And so when I was looking at how intertwined are FTX and Alameda, you know, I was looking at, well, what fraction of trading volume, what fraction of liquidity on the platform does Alameda represent? That had fallen off from something like 45% in 2019 to something like 2% this year. But in terms of positions and balances, it was a much larger fraction. I hadn't been looking at that. That's a pretty big over. But Sam, I think the question is whether you were supposed to have access to these accounts to begin with. You know, if, if, if I worked at a bank and was a bank teller yep. and I decided to leave the bank at the end of the evening and take the cash that I ostensibly had access to, even if I intended to bring it back to the bank later, even with yep. more money to give them back, I still stole the money. I mean, look, I wasn't running Alameda. I, I didn't know exactly what was going on. I didn't know the size of their position. Um, uh, a lot of these are things I've learned over the last month that I learned as I was sort of frantically digging into this 
on you know November sixth, November seventh, November eighth, um, uh, and, and uh, obviously that that's a pretty big mistake on Mark. That's a pretty big oversight that I wasn't more aware. Um, I think I was you know scared of. Um, I was nervous uh, because of the conflict of interest about being too involved. Um, and uh, obviously that shouldn't have meant that I didn't have real oversight um, or that and it really shouldn't have meant that I failed to appoint anyone to be in charge of that oversight, that relationship. Um, but I, I haven't been running Alameda. I, I haven't been you know, thinking about its finances. I haven't been you know, making... Uh, those decisions. Uh, uh, but, you know, as CEO of FTX, it was still my duty to make sure that someone it. was doing diligence. I was, I was a large owner of it. That is true. And I uh, uh, had a lot of exposure on that side. Um, but so I why wouldn't have running. you been focused on it if, in fact, that's actually where the profits were? Well, I don't know that that's where, I mean, I think Alameda had made trading profits over the last few years, but FTX had made profits as well. Um, FTX had been a you know profitable growing business, um, and I was that was more than a full time job. I didn't have the bandwidth to run two companies at once. I didn't have the you know attention for it, um, and and again I, w- I was nervous about a conflict of interest between those two, and so was pretty intentional about not being. Uh, very involved in what was happening at Alameda. When, when did the commingling of assets begin? So, uh, and again, you know, lots of traders had open margin positions on FTX where they would have borrows of, of assets, where they would be short some asset against, uh, you know, against other assets as collateral. Um, that being said, I, again, looking through this now, um, I think that that position size for Alameda got substantially larger over the course of uh, 2022, and that it was, I think, substantially larger by October of 2022, um, you know, probably by July of 2022 than it had been in April. But, but it sounds like year. it's fair to say that, that there was always a connection between Alameda and FTX, and, and almost, I mean, not almost, but from the very, very beginning, and then it never really stopped. Well, I think it had been in some ways, reducing. I mean, when you scroll back to 2019, Alameda and FTX were very connected in a number of ways. Um, you know, one of these was that Alameda was the primary liquidity provider on FTX. It was, you know, 40-something percent of volume. It was the backstop liquidity provider. Um, and, you know, you scroll forward to 2022, it was down to 2% of volume. Uh, we had a lot of backstop liquidity providers. Um, uh, but it still had a big margin position on. And I, I was failing to pay nearly enough attention uh, to positions and positional risk on the exchange um, and to Alameda's in particular. Um, and I also, frankly, made a mistake that I feel pretty embarrassed to have made. Um, I mean, a lot of these are, but I substantially underestimated what the scale of market crash could look like and what the speed of it could look like but, and how correlated it would be. But just, that just suggests that you were just hoping, perhaps hoping against hope, that this would all work out and that nobody, therefore, would realize what this commingling was all about? So it's not how I viewed it. And in particular, again, most of the firms had margin positions. Most of the firms had boroughs on FTX. 
the problem here, this one was, this was too big. It was, I was surprised by the but size of what it was. But it's not just too big. It's assets that, look, it sounds like there were assets that may have been allowable to be loaned, but then there were assets that weren't allowable to be loaned, no? So uh, I'm still looking into the details of some pieces of this, but I do think that um, in addition to um, what I had seen is sort of law of the standard borrows here, that um, when we scroll back to 2018, uh, or to 2019, I guess, um, FTX didn't have bank accounts. It didn't have any bank accounts globally. We were trying to get them. Um, it took us a while, took us a few years. Um, and you know, there are customers who wanted to wire money to FTX. And so I think in the meantime, um, some of them were wiring money to Alameda Research to get credited on FTX. And uh, I think that was a substantial sum. Uh, and I think that the FTX's internal accounting did correctly, effectively try to debit Alameda for those funds, but it didn't happen in the primary account. And so it didn't happen, it, you know, it created a discrepancy between the display of the account and what was right. really going on there. And, um, I, and I'm still looking into exactly how that, how that worked mechanically, uh, but I, that, that did make that position size substantially larger than, than I thought, and, and I think then what you would have gotten from, uh, from most of the normal avenues. What do you make of the argument that Alameda was used to effectively wash money into FTX, that American investors, who by the way were not technically allowed to even invest on FTX, were doing so, and FTX was doing it knowingly, because the, the know your customer rules were being flouted by using this separate vehicle. Uh, uh, how would that allow customers to flout the know your customer uh, rules? I, I, are you talking about people who are trading on FTX US or are you talking about customers of FTX International? International, you just said that there was money being sent to Alameda and that Alameda was then providing credits onto FTX. Right, but those users still had to go through the know your customer policy on FTX in order to do that. In order to use that ramp, customers still had to go through FTX's normal KYC onboarding. So when do you think you knew there was a problem? So, uh, the time that I really knew there was a problem was November 6th. Um, November 6th was, uh, that was the date that the uh, you know, tweet about FTT came out. And uh, by, by late on November 6th, we were putting together all of the data, putting together all the information that uh, obviously I should have put together way earlier. That obviously should have been part of the dashboards I was always looking at. And um, I, you know, when we looked at that, um, there was a potential serious problem there. And I, you know, Alameda's position was big on FTX. It had just taken a huge hit. Um, it had taken hits over the course of the year, but that was a particularly, you know, large and, and one and very abrupt. Um, and 
we're seeing a run on the bank start. And that was leading to, um, I, you know, $4 billion a day of client withdrawals. Um, at that point, you know, we started calling prospective, you know, sources of financing because I was, I was nervous about what was going to happen there. Um, you know, if you rewind even a few days, um, I was, I was a little bit nervous, but not on nearly the same scale. And I, I was thinking about, uh, you know, risks that were substantially less. Uh, when you say, you say you were nervous, you were nervous the company was going to go under, you were nervous you were going to get caught. What, what were you nervous about? Uh, on, on, like on November 6th or before then? Either. Either. So I think before then, what I was nervous about was that basically, um, I, and this started, I would say, November 2nd or so, when there was, uh, you know, Alameda balance sheet, um, you know, through CoinDesk and, um, and when I started, uh, to, to think, uh, a bit more about this, um, you know, I was nervous that that would lead to, uh, substantial losses for Alameda. Um, and that, uh, you know, it would be a bit messy. I didn't think it was existential for FTX. I didn't think it was going to lead to a you know, massive loss for FTX's customers. Um, I was thinking of this as um, more like Alameda is going to be really tight on funds. And, uh, uh, and that, you know, maybe it would end up having some small impact on FTX, but not, not a significant one, not one that hurt customers at all. Um, uh, when you're talking about November 6th, late November 6th, then, and, and especially as we bleed into November 7th and 8th, I start to become nervous that FTX is not going to be able to fill customer withdrawals. And, you know, by, by late November 6th, I am very nervous about that. And I'm starting to think about, like, uh, emergency scenarios. And I'm starting to think about, like, things might... Uh, Things might end quite badly here, and 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 the core metric that I'm thinking of there is: will we be able to make sure all customers are whole? And you know, uh, on November fifth, I was feeling quite good about that. On uh, November seventh, I was feeling quite uneasy about that. I want to go back in time for a moment. Um, this summer, uh, you were described uh, oftentimes as the J.P. Morgan of crypto, referencing uh, the 1907 panic that he uh, helped prevent. Um, and you had uh, purchased BlockFi, were making investments in uh, Voyager and all sorts of other things. When you were doing that at that time, how much of that was an effort to prop up the value of things like FTT, which was the token of FTX, knowing that if a company like BlockFi, which owned a ton of it, um, that if it, if it collapsed, FTT would collapse, and in large part, the quote-unquote collateral that you had for Alameda would collapse. So uh, I don't think any of the borrow lending desks, to my knowledge, owned a lot of FTT. I think a lot of them you know, may have been using it as collateral, or you know, taking it as collateral. I don't think they owned it, though, um, or were going to sell it. And uh, I think that most of them ended up closing down uh, effectively all of their lines with Alameda one way or another. And so at that point, I think that that was close to uh, a sunk cost. And 
Um, and so I wasn't viewing it as having any, any impact on FTT in particular. Um, uh, I did view it as important for the industry's health. I did view it as a thing where uh, I wanted to try to keep the industry stable. Um, but I don't think it had any, you know, really large FTT-specific impact. And did it have it? You didn't think it had any impact? It would have had no impact on Al- Alameda or FTX if, for example, BlockFi were to have failed? I, I don't think it would have had large direct impact. And the reason I say that is that I believe that Alameda ended up returning the vast majority of its open, you know, borrowers of its margin positions with the borrow lending desks in the middle of this year anyway. And so... At that point, there wasn't that much left to, to save from that. Um, uh, you know, the uh, at that point, I think the bigger thing was just not wanting the industry to implode. Um, let's talk about collateral um, because I think this is this entire experience has been a revelation for a lot of people about uh, what might be collateral. Um, and clearly, you were using uh, FTT um, and Solana and other tokens. Uh, as collateral, and part of that required you to mark them in a specific way, a value to them. Um, yep. Do you think that you were marking them properly? Uh, in Alameda's case, I don't think I was marking them uh, the way I wish I had from a risk perspective. And I want to sort of differentiate here, like, expected value or, or sort of, like, worth or something like that from security. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, I don't have any strong statements to make about, you know, what value they're assigned from sort of like, you know, a upside perspective or even a median case perspective. Um, But clearly I was, uh, I was not nearly cautious enough from a downside perspective, from an extreme downside perspective. And, um, you know, I can tell you, in my head, I was looking at a 30% down move over a few-day period as a sort of like extreme tail case event that, you know, we had seen once before. Um, and uh, and then, you know, what happened here was a, uh, I mean, a 95% down move over the course of a year um, and a, you know, 60% down move over a few-day period with very little liquidity and all happening at once in all of these coins in a correlated fashion in which hedges didn't mean as much also because this was a specific crash on assets associated with Alameda research rather than all assets. And so, you know, even correlated hedges had limited use there um, and a run on the bank at the same time. And all of that are things in retrospect, I should have expected might happen in uh, an extreme scenario because that's how markets work. And, you know, we've seen other examples of that in history where when things get really bad, they get really bad for all of the relevant things at once in a very direct and correlated right. and, and quick way. I just and, want to, I want to yeah. go back to the BlockFi uh, acquisition for a moment. Yeah. How much money do you think Alameda, I, I'd said that they had a lot of FTT, but that Alameda had borrowed from BlockFi at the time of the bailout? Uh, I honestly don't know, but I, I would have guessed like 100 million, maybe a couple hundred million. But I, I, I honestly don't know the answer. That it wasn't, I wasn't like running on. I wasn't paying detailed attention. That's my guess. 
And, and were you using FTT and, and Serum and other things to collateralize the loans at BlockFi, do you think? I mean, this, this goes to the whole idea of, of, of both the value of these things and also whether you were trying to buy BlockFi, in fact, to continue to support effectively Alameda or FTX. Right. It, you know, it might be. Um, I, I would guess it was. But, but, you know, to your point, my guess is that, like, the amount paid for, for BlockFi was probably bigger than the amount that Alameda had opened with it. I, I mean, I, I don't know that for sure. Again, I, I uh, but I wasn't even looking at what that number was, really. But I think that's that's about right. I, I want to go back to the Alameda piece of it for just an, another moment, yeah. if, you'd, if, you'd, if you'd stick with me here. Uh, you had told investors and regulators that you were not involved in Alameda deci- decision-making, um, yeah. and yet, in the case, uh, Alameda invested $1.15 billion in Genesis digital assets. Um, without your consultation or approval? That, that's the question. And my understanding is you also served on the board of Genesis Digital Assets. And so I'm trying to understand how you wouldn't have been involved with Alameda. So I was somewhat involved with uh, venture investing. And that was done out of a separate entity um, than you know, any of Alameda's proprietary trading, uh, than its activity on FTX or other crypto exchanges. Um, uh, but I was uh, consulted on uh, on some of its its, its VC um, investments, including with GDA. What what are your lawyers telling you right now? Uh, are, are they suggesting this is a good idea for you to be speaking? Uh, no, they are very much not. Um, uh, and uh, I mean, you know, the classic advice raised: don't say anything. Uh, you know, recede into a hole. Uh, and it's not who I am. I mean, it's not who I want to be. I don't have, I, I think I have a duty to talk to people. I have a duty to explain what happened. And I think I have a duty to do everything I can to try and do what's right. If there is anything I can do to, to try and help customers out here. And uh, I don't see what good is accomplished by me just sitting locked, uh, you, know, you know, in a room pretending the outside world doesn't exist. You're in the Bahamas right now. Are you in the Bahamas because you think you can't leave? Uh, no, I, I'm. I'm in the Bahamas. I, I I have been in in the Bahamas for the last year, and you know, I've been running FTX from the Bahamas. You know, I've been running FTX Digital Market, our you know primary operating entity down here. Um, you know, with with you know Bahamian uh, regulators and uh, you know and others in 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 contact, and uh, you know, right now. I'm, you know, I'm looking to be helpful anywhere I can with any of the global entities that, uh, you know, that would want my help. Do you think you could come to the United States or go elsewhere? I, 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 I to my knowledge, I could. Have you thought about doing that? I, I've, I've thought about it, and, um, you know, I mean, I mean, I've seen uh, a lot of the, uh, obviously, a lot of the hearings that that have been happening. I. You know, would not be surprised if, you know, sometime I am, you know, up there talking about what happened to our representatives or, um, you know, wherever else is, is most appropriate. How concerned are you about criminal liability at this point? So I don't think that, I mean, obviously, I don't, I don't personally think that I have, uh, you know, but I, I think the real answer is that's not, it sounds weird to say, but but it, I think the real answer is that's not what I'm focusing on. Um, it's, 
there's going to be a time and a place for me to sort of think about myself and my own future, but I don't think this is it. Like, right now, I mean, look, I, I've had a bad month. Um, this has not been a fun day for me, but that's not what matters here. Like, what matters here is the millions of customers. What matters here is all the stakeholders in FTX uh, who who got hurt and and trying to do everything I can to help them out. And, you know, as long as that's the case, like, I don't think that, I don't think that, you know, what happens with me is the important part of that. And I don't think that's what it makes sense for me to be focusing on. Sam, help me with this. Um, on November 7th, you tweeted and then deleted a tweet that said, quote, FTX has enough to cover all client holdings. We don't invest client assets, even treasuries. Yeah. We've been processing all withdrawals and will continue to be, unquote. You then deleted that tweet. And literally just moments ago, you told me it was on November 7th that things took a turn. Yep. Um, You're telling the truth? I, so things were changing fast. And, you know, when you look at, at November 6th, I was feeling nervous, but I felt like things were probably going to end up okay. We still had, I mean, you know, assets way larger than liabilities. And, um, uh, and yeah, there is increasing withdrawal demand, but we were meeting all of it. We were processing all of it, although it was a weekend. So we were a day delayed on a lot of wire transfers and stablecoin creations and Bitcoin node was overloaded, but you know, there are assets we're continuing to process. By November 8th, um, I did not think the odds were that high that we were going to be able to meet all client demand. And I was worried that there was going to be a substantial liquidity shortfall. November 7th, that was sort of the transition day. And you know, even just the start versus the end of November 7th, I felt I felt fairly different. Um, you know, and uh, I can't remember exactly what I was thinking or, 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 or when I sent that, but you know, I remember trying to think about feeling conflicted about what to say and trying to think about what I could say that I believed. And um, you know, by by not that long later, I no longer believed that. I no longer that no longer felt like it had much like that was a, a at all reasonable representation of where my mind was at. And uh, I don't remember exactly when I deleted it, but I remember at some point it's like, ah, it shouldn't be there. Let me ask you a different question because this is all around the same time. Uh, the New York Times reported uh, that uh, $515 million was suspiciously, in quote, trans uh, transferred from FTX wallets after, after yeah. the bankruptcy filing. Yes. And there have been accusations that this is the assistance effectively of theft. Where did that money go? So uh, I will caveat this by saying at that point, I was being cut off from systems. And so I'll, I'll, I'll give you the answer to the extent that I know it, um, which is that I believe that a few different things happened within a short period there. Um, I think that uh, the uh, U.S. team took actions to seize some of the assets and put it in custody um, from the exchange. Um, I believe that the um, uh, it has been announced that um, you know the Bahamian uh, regulators um, took some of the assets into safekeeping as well um, around that same time, um, and I think there may have, in addition to both of those, also been uh, some actually improper access uh, 
of assets on the exchange. And I don't know the details of that. I don't have uh, the resources to trace through exactly what happened there. Um, and I don't know who is behind that third part. I want to go back to one thing about the Bahamas. Uh, the Bahamian authorities have now admitted effectively that they ordered the transfer, it sounds like, of certain FTS, FTX assets to wallets under their control after uh, the U.S. bankruptcy was filed. Did you help them with that? Did you discuss that with them? So I, I, I you know, can't discuss specifics, but I will note that prior to Chapter 11 having been filed, um, the uh, Bahamian authorities had placed uh, FTX digital markets. Uh, the Bahamian entity, which is the primary operating entity of FTX International, um, under supervision of a, um, a JPL system in the Bahamas with oversight from the Securities Commission of the Bahamas and, you know, were, to my knowledge, taking actions to protect FDM's, uh, you know, clients um, and, and, and customers there. Can, can we just go back for just one second? I, and I apologize for, for belaboring this point, but we were talking about FTX and the derivative piece of it earlier. Um, and I had, I had made a note earlier about this uh, because you had told the Senate, so you were sitting in the Senate at the time, on February 9th, 2022, during a hearing, you said, quote, on FTX U.S. derivatives, uh, all of these contracts are fully collateralized. Was that true? Yes. And again, FTX U.S., to my knowledge, totally solvent. FTX U.S. derivatives, totally solvent. And in fact, I believe FTX U.S. derivatives, Ledger X, may even be up and running right now. I'm confused why FTX U.S. is not processing customer withdrawals right now. I would think it should be because I believe, to my knowledge, that it could be and could make all Americans 100% whole from this. So I, and, and FTX US derivatives, as I said there, doesn't even allow leverage of any sort. Um, it was, you know, close to a spot trading platform. Um, and so, uh, yeah, to my knowledge, all American customers and all American regulated businesses and exchanges here are, um, uh, I think, uh, at least in terms of client assets are, are, are okay. Obviously, I don't know what's happened with, you know, you can make your own judgments about the enterprise value of those businesses. But um, Over the summer, you paid a, a $2.5 billion loan to Barry Silbert's Genesis. This was in August. And I was just trying to think through the dynamics of what might have been happening at your firm and was wondering, where did the money come from? So when you say you did that, I, I presume that that's Alameda Research that yes. did that. Is that right? Yes, yeah. that's the case. So uh, I don't have all of the details there, but uh, my understanding is that and I don't know exactly what was going on on Genesis's side then, and I don't know now. Um, but um, my understanding is I believe Genesis tried to call in uh, a large number of loans uh, from Alameda. Um, I believe that that happened and uh, that that closed down a lot of positions that Alameda had opened with Genesis and other trading desks. And um, I, you know, that was what I was thinking at the time. Um, and that's, I think, what, what happened there. Um, I also think that may have led to an increase of position size of Alameda on FTX in retrospect. Right. Um, you, you did an interview, I think perhaps inadvertently, uh, over Twitter DMs uh, with a reporter at Vox and had spoken uh, about ESG, but also about what you described as the shibboleths 
of yeah. what it meant to look good in corporate America today. Um, and that a lot of the things that you were doing were not necessarily things you actually believed or believed in. Can you speak to that? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I was a, a frustrating series. It was not meant to be a, a public interview. It was a longtime friend of mine who I stupidly uh, forgot was also a reporter. Uh, I thought I was speaking in a personal capacity. Um, I, I'm not sure what they thought the capacity was at the time, but it certainly ended up uh, being reported on. Um, and, you know, I think what I'd say is, look, um, uh, there are a lot of things that I think have really massive impact on the world. And ultimately, that's what I care about the most. And I mean, I think that, I think, frankly, that, that you know, the blockchain industry could, you know, could have substantial positive impact. But, you know, I, I was thinking a lot about, you know, bed nets and malaria, about you know, saving people from diseases no one should die from, um, about animal welfare, about pandemic prevention, and, you know, what could be done on large scale to help mitigate those. Those things, I think, matter. And, and, and they're, you know, among the most important things to me. Um, separately from that, there's a bunch of bullshit that regulated companies do um, to try and look good. And um, these are things that, you know, everyone who does them basically knows they're kind of dumb, that these are not things that are making large impact on the world. These are not looking at saving thousands of lives. You know, these are the kind of like, uh, you know, if, uh, if like three different quarterbacks throw a touchdown in the same game for the same team, we'll donate two used cars to charity uh, type campaigns where it's not going to happen. It's never happened. There's no expectation of a car getting donated. It's just a PR campaign, sort of masquerading as um, as do-gooderism, and you know things like greenwashing are are things which I think end up in, in a you, somewhat and, similar area. Fair to say, you participated in this. Yeah, we all did, and and I, I, I and you know FTX did as well. And there are things I felt like we needed to do for the business. There are things that uh, I felt like were were crucial for us being able. I mean. It's, I, I wish the world didn't work this way. I wish that these weren't relevant to your ability to get regulated, to your ability to um, uh, get bank accounts, but they they were. And uh, yeah, you know, we had promotional campaigns, we had um, you know marketing slogans, and uh, and you know, we thought about what we could do to, and you know, we thought of ourselves as legitimately trying to do good, but we also thought about what we could do uh, to uh, make sure that our image um, reflected that. And um, there's a lot of a lot of just unimpactful things there that ultimately, I, I think, in some circles, got more attention than actually impactful things. Um, and, you know, I, I think that on the more tasteful end of the spectrum, you can see you know, things like uh, small scale, but real charitable initiatives. Um, and on, I think, the less tasteful end of the spectrum, you know, frankly speaking, I mean, I think even things like, you know, making sure that um, all materials have perfect English grammar is a thing where I, that was important. Sam, let me ask you about this, though, because the other piece of it is... Um Using, using your, your money and influence, and I think there's a question about whose money you were using, 
but to donate, for example, to the Democratic Party, um, in large part to influence regulation. And I think as people have looked through now some of the regulation you were pushing for at CFIUS, for example, some of that regulation would have allowed you, frankly, to, quote, self-certify a lot of what was going on at, at FTX. And there are people who look at that and say it was all part of a scheme. So I mean, unpacking pieces of that, when you look at like this, the CFTC regulation there, um, ultimately, there may have been an ability to self-certify contracts. But prior to that, we went through a congressional hearing a uh, um, a public comment period, a public roundtable, a year of inquiries, and tens of thousands of hours, um, you know, thousands of pages of submitted documents, um, and still had not uh, gotten to the point of having a license to offer emergent uh, futures in the United States, and so it was. And an extraordinarily long and hard process that we were going through with the CFTC, um, and I, you know, it was by far the most intensive regulatory process that I, the, I'd ever seen. Can you speak to the lobbying piece of it, though? Yeah, and the donations so, piece of it, because I think that's that, that's become part of the story as to whether you effectively were yeah. influencing lawmakers to do your bidding, and given the state of your current company questions about whether uh, that should be the case. So, I mean, lawmakers were not ruling on FTX. FTX didn't have an application before Congress for anything. Um, you know, my donations were uh, mostly for pandemic prevention, and they were looking at primary elections where there were candidates who were outspoken in favor of doing things now to prevent the next pandemic. That was the primary thing that I was supporting uh, with those contributions. And, you know, it was on both sides uh, of, of the aisle, primarily operating in both primaries because it wasn't, I wasn't viewing it as a partisan ex exercise. I was not, you know, Moses was not looking at donating to one party to beat the other one in the general elections here. Um, I, you know, it was, not only was it on both sides, but even within each side, it was between two candidates in the same party, and, and it was looking at where, pandemic policy. Where did the money come from for those donations? So, uh, you know, basically uh, profits. I mean, uh, you know, it was uh, substantially smaller than the, you know, amount of trading profits that Alameda had made uh, over the prior uh, few years. Um, related uh, to this, uh, you had a meeting yep. We've been listening to Andrew Ross Sorkin's exclusive. Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janus Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janus Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. It's a one-on-one -on -one interview with former FTX CEO Sam Bankman-Fried. Um, a little bit of technical difficulty. The interview is continuing, so we'll see if we can get that back up. Meantime, this is Fast Money, and I'm Melissa Lee. There's a lot to unpack here um, with this interview, which has been going on for about 47 uh, minutes tonight so far. Let's get to the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami all here with us today. Um, 
Tim, but there was a lot of I didn't know. Yeah, um, not I, knowingly. There might have been commingling. I didn't knowingly do this or that. Well, I, I, I'm obviously not an attorney, but but I, I know that you know trying to sound like you didn't intend to commit a crime is probably the first thing you try to establish. So call me cynical. Um, this is a guy we've been told is one of the smarter folks out there, and I, I just. You know, to me, there's there's so much inconsistency, and I, I just think trying to show there was no intent. Uh, the interview continues. Let's listen in. Whether you were trying to buy influence, can you speak to that? I mean, I think media matters a lot, and I want to support good media ventures. That was the whole thesis there, and I, you know, I don't have like governance over any of these. I wasn't looking for governance over them. Um, I. I was looking to support journalists doing great work because I think what they do is really important. And I think that there needs to be a critical eye um, on stories. Um, uh, I'm certainly seeing, a, you know, being on the, the uh, uh, on the, getting the brunt of a lot of that right now. And, um, you know, frankly, I think it's healthy um, for the world that there is real investigative journalism. Um, your parents are law professors. What did you tell them when all of this happened? Uh, I mean, I don't remember exactly when I reached out to them, but you know, I think I, I called them up and said, hey guys, I think there might be a problem. Like things, um, uh, looks like Alamia's position might be uh, imploding here and uh, there might be liquidity issues and I'll tell you more when I know more. That, that is, that's my guess about roughly Roughly what I said, but honestly, that that week so much happened. It's a little bit of a blur to me exactly what. what and was what said are they once. telling you now? And look, it's been it's been a hard period for anyone who was close to me, and none of them deserved that. And I feel really, I mean, look, like a lot of obviously. The, the largest number of people who are hurt here were, were customers, and I feel incredibly bad about that. Um, but uh, anyone who is close to me, you know, including my parents, including employees, coworkers, who, who you know, fought with the company to, to push forward, were hurt by this and bore no responsibility for that. Um, I feel really bad about that, and I mean, I feel really grateful for the support that my parents are still giving me, you know, throughout all of this. Can you explain the real estate piece of this to us? I think there's been a number of headlines, yeah. as you know, about FTX, the company, buying a lot of real estate up in the Bahamas, um, yep. where you lived, at least at the time, was owned by the company. But then there's also reports uh, that your parents signed and were effectively provided with what seemed like a vacation home. So uh, I don't know the details of the that house um, for for my parents, but I know that it was not intended to be their long term property. I know it was intended to be the company's property. I I don't know how that was papered, and I and I think that was where it was was and will end up. Um, I I think they may have stayed there while working, uh, you know, with the company uh, sometime over the last year. When you look at the rest of it. Um, there were a lot of property purchases in the Bahamas. Uh, you know, the reason for that is we had, you know, 
a hundred, uh, you know, basically a hundred Silicon Valley, uh, you know, top Silicon Valley employees come down here to work for FTX. And, um, you know, we were trying to uh, incentivize that and to, you know, make sure that they had an easy way to find a comfortable life um, so that they'd be willing to move and, um, and help build out the product. And so, uh, you know, those hundred people uh, put together here um, did end up, you know, uh, buying a substantial uh, amount of property. I would, and I feel kind of, I feel bad about some of uh, how those investments may turn out for them. Can you just speak to the idea of this company that, at least from the public perspective, seemed like a um, regulated company or something that was uh, very focused on compliance? You would go to Washington, you talk about compliance, you talk about trust. Crypto ultimately is actually about trust. It's about not having to trust others, frankly. It's supposed to be a trustless system. That's why you trust trust it so much, supposedly. Um, But but it seems like when you read the stories, it sounds like a a bunch of kids uh, who were on Adderall having a sleepover party. Um, I mean, look, I screwed up. Like, I was CEO. I I was the CEO of FTX. And I mean, I'd say this again and again, that... That means I had a responsibility. That means that I was responsible ultimately for us doing the right things. And I mean, I we didn't like we we messed up big. But were and, there there were people though but, who were telling you you needed more but, compliance? No, there were. But I I think that compliance, um, we were spending an enormous amount of our energy on compliance. We were spending an enormous amount of our energy on regulation, on licensure. Um, we were getting licensed in dozens of jurisdictions. Um, uh, I think, frankly, we're spending probably too much of our energy getting licensed in retrospect. Um, and, uh, you know, there were some places where I think that the reporting and transparency obligations from that licensure actually did help. I think when you look at, I mean, FTX U.S. derivatives, I think when you look at FTX Japan, which I think is fully solvent, which I think could make all customers whole tomorrow if it were, um, uh, if, you know, the sort of uh, relevant teams were to allow it to. Um, I am confused why it hasn't. Um, but, um, I, but, you know, I think that a lot of what we ended up doing and focusing on was a distraction to some extent from one unbelievably important area that we completely failed on, and that was risk. That was risk management. That was, you know, customer position risk, um, uh, and you know, frankly, conflict of interest risk. And um, you know, uh, there there was no person who was chiefly in charge of positional risk of customers on FTX, and that feels pretty embarrassing in retrospect because that was you. You go back to twenty nineteen. Even 2018 asked me, why am I starting to build out FTX? What's the point of it? And what I would have said was, look, existing crypto derivatives exchanges have large risk management failures that every day there are millions of dollars um, that are being lost by customers because of risk management failures that these contracts are paying out 75 cents on the dollar week after week after week because of risk management blowouts. And that, 
that needs to be overhauled. And that was what I was focused on um, for the beginning of FTX. I was not focused on that for the last year or two. I got less grounded from that. And I started focusing on the bigger picture, on um, you know future business avenues, on, on licensure, on, on a lot of things. And I mean, we, we lost track of a really important part of the business and of the product. Um, and so there absolutely were management failures, huge management failures. I bear responsibility for that. There were oversight failures, transparency failures, reporting, like so many things we should have had in place. I think that a lot of it was on the risk management side. Let me, let me um, ask you about rather, that, yeah. which is we, we had Larry Fink here today and he had a stake yep. in FTX. Um, and Sequoia and Paradigm and some very big venture capital firms had, had, had given you money. And I'm curious if they ever asked you questions about this risk management and whether they bear any responsibility for what clearly now appears and you're saying was at minimum a lack of oversight, if not something much worse. Um, I don't think they bear responsibility. I mean, like when you look at, you put your size you put yourself in the eyes of an investor, of a, a venture capital firm. Um, what you're thinking about primarily is upside, right? What you're thinking about primarily is investing in a private company and thinking, might this 3x, might this 5x, might this even 10x on the upside cases? And yeah, there's some chance that it will go down. There's some chance that maybe it will go down to zero, um, but that's counterbalanced by the upside propositions here. And, and so most of what they were focused on was, you know, uh, I, I think like what might FTX become? What's the pathway to get from here to there? You know, what would it take? What are the missing pieces? Um, you know, rather than, you know, at the point where you're dwelling on all of the various precise downside scenarios and risks for a prospective venture investment, that means you're not investing. Like if that's where your head's at, you know, if you think the odds are that that's where things are going to end up, why why would you do that investment? Can I ask you about the drugs? Um, you you yeah. have tweeted about it. Caroline has tweeted about it. Others have tweeted about uppers and downers um, right. and all sorts of things. Um, there have been pictures taken of something called uh, MSAM, uh, which yep. apparently uh, increases levels of dopamine to the brain. It's actually for Parkinson's. Were you taking that as a patch? So... I, it, it's, it's funny hearing this. I, I had my first sip of alcohol after my 21st birthday. And I think I, I have maybe half a glass of, uh, of alcohol a year, roughly speaking. Uh, there were no wild parties here. When we had parties, we'd play board games. And, you know, 20% of people would have three quarters of a beer each or something like that. Um, and, you know, the rest of us would, would not drink anything. I see, you know, any legal drug use uh, around me, you know, at the office at, at these parties, like, and, 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 and when I say parties, I mean, like, you know, having people over for dinner is what that meant. Um, uh, and look, I can't talk about anyone else, like, you know, what they're prescribed between themselves and their, their, their doctors or psychiatrists. Um, I can say for me, um, I don't know, like, I, uh, I've been prescribed various things at various times to help with focus and concentration. Um, I, and I think they have done that. I haven't felt any of, um, you know, the sort of impacts that I think people have been theorizing here from it. And it's not a huge impact, you know, in the first place. 
anyway, I think, you know, these have all just been totally on, uh, on label use of, uh, of medications. And, um, you know, I think things that on the margin helped me focus a little bit. Um, I wish I had been a lot more focused over the last year. Um, I may have been unfocused in this last moment because I actually wanted to follow up on the question when we're talking about venture capitalists. Um, yep. Sequoia and, and Paradigm invested in you, uh, but there have now been questions about the fact that you invested in them and whether these were what some people describe in the business round-trip deals. Can you speak to that? Uh, I mean, I think well after they had invested um, in FTX, I, I, I don't know the details, but I think um, there may have been a small investment um, into some of their funds. I think you know, it was something that we did because I don't know, we believed in what they were doing. It seemed like a, a, a good opportunity and um, didn't think too much about it. I'm curious, just on a very personal level, um, yep. as we get close to ending this conversation, to the degree that there's been a lesson in this and uh, that what you see as your future at this point. Um, I know you're, you're taking it day to day, obviously. Um, and I know you're an optimist as well. Uh, we've talked about that. But what do you think realistically is your future? So what is my future? Um, I don't know what my far future is. And, you know, when you fast forward, I have no idea what I'm going to be doing, you know, a long time from now. I think when I look at, you know, at the near and medium term, what am I thinking? What I'm thinking is, and again, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, and it, a lot of it's not in my hands at this point. Um, but I, uh, I want to be helpful wherever I can to regulators, administrators, you know, internationally who are working to, uh, you know, to help FTX's customers. And I want to be helpful wherever I can on anything that could help bring a lot more value to those customers. And, you know, I don't know where that will lead. I can say that prior to filing, um, there had been a lot of interest in, um, in financing, uh, a lot of fairly strong interest, you know, billions of, many billions of dollars worth. Um, I don't, uh, uh, I can't make any promises about anything, but, um, uh, I, I would have thought that there would be, you know, a chance for a pathway forward here that would bring more value to customers than what would happen if you just sort of sold everything else for, uh, you know, for scraps. Right. And, um, I don't have confidence. Uh, I don't, I, I, I can't promise you and, you know, I can't promise anyone anything there and it's not really in my hands, uh, to a large extent, but, um, but I would think that it would make sense to be exploring that because uh, I think there's a chance that customers could end up made a lot more whole, I don't know, maybe even fully whole, um, if there was a really strong concerted effort. How, um, how would that happen? So, you know, there have been, you know, been examples of this before in crypto history where that happened. Um, obviously, you can look at what happened with Bitfinex um, back a number of years ago, um, where it got hacked and then ended up making over a few year period, customers whole. Um, there are a lot of assets that are on hand here, although many of them are not liquid. Um, uh, they were worth quite a bit more than the 
you know, needed liabilities a month ago, even, uh, let alone a year ago. Uh, you know, there is at least a month ago, there were, you know, or, or I guess, you know, three weeks ago, billions of dollars of uh, potential funding opportunities. Um, you know, I, I don't know that it would have been great for my uh, stake as a shareholder uh, of FTX, but that's not what matters here. And I think it would have brought more financing to customers. You saw, obviously, you know, the Tron facility, which is open for a little while on FTX, which allowed some customers to get liquidity. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you put some of these together. Um, uh, you know, there's obviously, you know, equity in the business. Um, where does that lead? I don't know exactly. And, and again, it's not going to be my, you know, decision to make uh, at the end of the day. But, um, I, but I, I think there's a shot for a real value. Sam, um, we're, we're going to have to wrap up. And a couple of just quick other questions. Uh, one is, given what you know about compliance or the lack of it in this business, in this industry, I think there are a lot of people who are holding crypto today, perhaps on exchanges like Binance and other places. Yep. yep. What should they think, given what you do know and to the extent that you right. can tell us the truth about what you know? What should they think? And, and I, I presume you're asking what should they think about the safety of their assets going forward. And Correct. Yeah. So, look, I don't, um, I obviously don't know exactly what's going on at other exchanges. Um, I can tell you what I would think as a customer, you know, uh, if, I, if I were a customer here, which is um, look for the things that I wish FTX had been able to supply. Um, things like, you know, proof of reserves is helpful. Um, look for as rigorous of that as you can. Look for regulatory reporting, right? You look at what the JFSA had in place in Japan. Um, you look at what FTX US derivatives had with, you know, uh, sort of frequent reporting to regulators of exactly what, you know, customer assets, balances, liabilities, distributions are. Um, and uh, what about the I governance think piece. Helped. Yeah. What about the governance piece? Because one of the things we have not talked about is you had no board and you had no CFO. And that so, should have been a red flag, frankly, for all of us. So interestingly, in some ways, we had too many boards. We had... Oh, goodness. Hopefully we're getting... Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. To get 
All right. So we've been listening for the past hour and five minutes to an extraordinary interview of Sam Bankman-Fried, the former CEO of FTX, uh, being conducted by Andrew Ross Sorkin at the DealBook conference here in New York City. In this sprawling interview, Sam Bankman-Fried addressed so many different things. But at the bottom line here is he said he screwed up. There's not enough risk management. There may have been, and he never addressed this directly, there may have been commingling of funds when it comes to the customer assets on FTX exchange and Alameda Research. And that Alameda's uh, positions were outsized, and he simply didn't know it, according to the dashboards that he looked at. But uh, again, an extraordinary interview being done by Andrew Ross Sorkin. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.